Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Tech Salescraft with me, James Hounslow. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Erin Noam. Good morning, Erin. Hey, good morning, James. Erin is the leader of sales for a startup called Shield, but has a fantastic background uh, of sales leadership. And today he's willing to share with us uh, his journey what he's learned along the way and what he's putting into practice as he scales out the commercial side of Shield. As a way of getting started, Erin, uh, could you just give the audience a background of, uh, of yourself and then let us know exactly who Shield are? Great. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, pleasure uh, to be part of uh, this uh, great initiative and share a little bit of my experience and background. So yeah, I've, I've been uh, doing uh, this for the last almost 20 years, so a bit uh, disclosing my age here, but uh, uh, I've been doing different uh, um, sales roles and business development in different uh, tech companies here in the Israeli uh, uh, ecosystem uh, of, of startup and technology companies. After a, a military background, which is a very common thing for uh, people here in Israel, was four years uh, an officer in the Israeli uh, IDF, Completed my uh, uh, um, university studies. I did uh, a business degree and started my my journey um, as a salesperson, individual contributor in a company called um, Nice, which is one of the uh, leading tech firms here in Israel. Or I could say even in the world to some extent in their domain. And made and made my way up uh, uh, in the food chain, uh, managing different sales organizations, smaller, then heading uh, uh, full regions, mm-hmm. ending in a VP sales role for Nice, managing a very uh, um, large organization, mm-hmm. and joined Shield almost uh, four years ago, uh, which is my first startup. Yeah. So at uh, age uh, forty. I said, if I'm not going to join a startup now, I probably won't join one forever. Yeah. So I knew Shiran and joined the, the company. Um, and I'm here uh, as the chief business officer of the company, making this a very great success. I would like to go back to your time at NICE. At what point in NICE did you realize that you could go from being a great salesperson to being a, a great leader? So first of all, this is usually the biggest mistake people make. Yeah. Uh, they, they try and, and, and think that if somebody was a great salesperson, he yeah. could be a great sales manager. Yeah. And that's not always the case. It could yeah. be the case, but it's not always the case. And, and, you know, and my tip for people that are looking to, to grow people up from a salesperson to a sales manager not only evaluate them on their sales performance. Yeah. Being a sales, sales, a good salesperson isn't necessarily being a good sales manager. I, you know, from my military background, you know, being an officer, um, even maybe going back when I was a leader in the youth scouts when yeah. I was 16, you know, when you have your uh, interest and ability to manage people. Yeah. And, and, and probably, you know, the people around me saw that. They saw my eagerness into having responsibility um, on a wider team. And this is how it folded. You know, I, I showed my skills in managing people without managing them. Now it usually starts. Yeah. Um, and, and then you get the official responsibility. 
Um, and this is how it folded, you know, take one person, mentor him, right, to get another one. And again, I was manage a small team. This team is doing well. Why not take a bigger team? And this is how, how it grow. When you had nice atomizers, is that where you learned the importance of sales processes and how to implement them? So, yeah, so that, that was a, a key element for us to, to do because of two things. One, when you work in a large organization that needs very accurate forecasting mm-hmm. to meet um, revenue goals, which are quarterly and reported externally, especially if you are a public company, being able to follow a process helps you very, very much to be much more accurate in your forecasting. Because yeah. it's, when it's very structured, it doesn't work on gut feelings. It works on a process and you're able to much more accurately forecast your um, your results. And on the other end, when you manage a big team, you know, you need to work with a process. This is, it's measurable. You could all the time understand how you are making progress to the end goal and not find yourself at the end of the quarter surprised. So the process helps a lot. And at the end of the day, and probably the most important thing, the process usually um, imitates the buying processes of the customers. And if your sell processes match, your customers buying processes, you would sell more or better or faster. But how did you find your day-to-day role changing as you went from sales, sales leader, sales director to in the end being the, the VP of sales? Like, what was the key difference? So at, at sales director, what does your job look like? So, so the, kind of it, it's how much are you in the details, how mm-hmm. much your hands are in the mud um, versus how much reporting and that you need to do on the other end yeah and as you grow up in 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 the food chain and in the size of your teams you are less able to touch the small details be involved in 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 the nitty-gritty details of deals and opportunities Mm -hmm. and you are more focused on building the team Mm -hmm. mentoring the team um, reporting forecasting from the management perspective and facilitating the processes within the organization. However, and that's my philosophy, even as you grow in your sales uh, leadership roles, you must be in the details. And now it's you to define how you are in the details. Some people like to be reported on the details. Mm-hmm. Some people like to touch specific areas in the processes to understand the details. And some choose strategic deals or strategic customers or strategic initiative to be involved in. But we as leaders, you know, must be in the details of things to be able to properly manage our our business and our activity. When you're talking about details, give me some understanding of what you mean by details. What comes under that? So, so details could be a step in a sales process. Yep. You know, we, we now have a strategic deal you know, what are the next steps? What are the objections um, a certain salesperson is getting in the process? What are the possible obstacles that we might face? Mm-hmm. How are we dealing with a certain competition situation, competitive situation in a specific deal? So th- these are the type of details that when you're a salesperson, you master them 100%. But when you're a sales leader, you need to decide where you interfere. Where do you step in? And also to make sure that it goes in the right pace, but also to, I call them intervention points, where you could put your weight on in the process to give your experience, to give your insights, to influence something that is happening uh, without your daily involvement. 
How do you find, once you get, particularly once you got to the VP level, that you have to be able to read data well and be very analytical in what you're, what you're doing? And also, there is a style of management that has to change and adapt because when you're uh, like a, a leader of quite close to the sales team, you're in there, you're talking to them each day, you've suddenly got to get a message through maybe two or three tiers of people. So firstly, how do you know the people who've got that capability, that analytical mindset that actually they can cope with? Because I imagine in the end, you were probably looking at vast spreadsheets to know what was going on. And how do you get your message to the troops? So first of all, I think a key element here is, is to have a good middle management layer. Okay. Yeah. So, so you need to be sure and ensure that your sales directors can be you in their scale. Okay. Yeah. So, so the way they report to you is the way you need to report upwards and they understand how you measure things in the same way. So when somebody in this mid-management level gives reports back to you, you know 100% that you are on the same page. Yeah. I think that, that's critical. When, when, yeah. when you reach a, a certain size of the team, I think that the middle management layer is even more important from the VP layer. Yeah. And that's a very important key for VPs or, or chief revenue officers to choose very well that layer of, of people. And then I think it's a mix between managing this in a very analytical way, understanding how the numbers tell the story, okay? So the numbers will flow to you. You would see number of opportunities and you will see percentages and you see weighted pipelines and you see amount of meetings. You as a VP now need to understand what this, the, what story are the numbers telling you and how to find this one number that is signaling to you something. Mm-hmm. What is that signal and how are you treating that? That's one point. Be data-driven, make the data give you insights to your gut feelings, okay? We can never move away from us, our gut feelings as experienced sales leaders. Sales is a science. There's The numbers always help mm-hmm. in that science because numbers is always science. However, yeah. if we lose this gut feeling and our experience, we will make, we'll get this all wrong. So in my philosophy... I use numbers a lot, but I still let a lot of my experience and gut feeling to lead me towards these understanding these numbers and what needs to be done with them. Have you always been a data-led salesperson or have you learned that in leadership? Because data never lies, but some people, particularly salespeople, like to think that they can change something or they can make something happen. But at the end of the day, numbers... Mm -hmm tell the story so have you always been data or have you had to learn that in leadership i was the worst data driven person ever from my perspective data was the enemy because the data tells you the truth yes (laughs) you are you know sometimes you know you don't want to know the truth you want to make the truth happen yeah but at some stage you know when you're mature enough and when you get experience you understand that the numbers work for you okay they can give you these indicators. They can give you this early warning that something is not going right. You know, so I definitely didn't start that way. And as I grew up and as I matured in my sales experience, I understood that I need to find the numbers that help me 
be more successful. And as I grew as a leader, that always become a major element in my management style. Have the numbers around me, lead me, and indicate to me where I need now to act. Right. And when I need to put my gut feelings also into, into, into play. How do you, when you are coaching and developing salespeople, get them into the mindset of using data? And there's a lot talked about KPIs, and, and I hear a lot of people talking about environments. They don't do KPI environments. And my mind kind of like boggles around that because a KPI is there to help you improve. How can you get better if you don't know what the data says? And it's just basically, it's kind of like finger in the air. So how do you get salespeople to get bought into the data and actually use the data to their advantage? Because, they, because sales is a science, I always try to take the end number that we want to achieve and yeah. start um, folding it back to which numbers do we need in order to achieve that end number. Yeah. And if we need to reach a, a revenue target and our pipeline conversion is historically this, and in order to get to this pipeline level, we need these amounts of meetings. And wow. in order to have these meetings, we need these amounts of leads. I let them work that out and tell them and show them that if they start from verifying that they have enough leads generated, enough meetings generated, or if in a given quarter or month or week, they don't have enough meetings happening, the end number will not be reached. So a miracle could happen, but unfortunately, they don't happen that often in sales. Yeah. Um, so, so this is the way to convince people to use to and, use numbers. And and the thing about miracles is you can't repeat them. So yeah, it happens once in a career, yeah. time, or once in a in a, in in a, in, in a tenure in a company. Yeah. One time you could use your miracle. That, nice. How often did you review data? How often were you looking at forecasting and talking to your salespeople? So, so it's, um, you know, you create a ritual of verifying KPI. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are me just going into the CRM and, and looking at reports. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are weekly reports that are being submitted to me. And some of them are meetings where we review reports and numbers together. Yeah. Each one of them gives you a different dimension. Because, you know, for me to look at numbers is one thing. For me to hear somebody talking about the numbers is another thing. And to me, challenging somebody talking about the numbers is a third thing. So I kind of try to create rituals around all of these touch points in the numbers, yeah. um, and they all complement each other. So some of them were weekly, some of them were monthly, some of them were quarterly, some of them were annually, but they all complemented each other. How often did you challenge the numbers? Was that a regular? Because he had an interesting conversation with a sales leader out in Singapore. And he said, look, I had my weekly chats with the sales team, but I never spoke about what was in the, the CRM because he goes, I know what that is. Like, I'm not going to waste my hour I've got with this person talking about something I already know. What he says is I would spend that hour saying, what's challenged you this week to see where it is. So would you be on that part or would you talk about that weekly? Or would the, that be a conversation that's done monthly? So I would, I would probably do um, a combination here. And yeah. this is what I, I, I usually do. So one is openly discuss challenges uh, mm -hmm. as, as, as the example as you gave here, because this is a good opportunity for people to raise things that on the daily work they would not raise. So mm -hmm. that's fantastic. On the other end, I usually like to pick on a certain piece of content or data and query that 
why would I pick it? Because it might look to me too optimistic. Yeah. It might look to me a little bit not backed up enough. And yeah. after a small conversation, by the way, it's not to put people on the spot. It's no. to help them better and act more accurately manage their daily work. Yeah. So it could be a stage of a deal. It could be maybe something that they haven't thought about uh, from that perspective. Maybe it could be, uh, as I told you, earlier stages of, of the funnel are not active enough. So not enough meetings are being booked. So we might understand the problem in two months time. So I, I like to pick a data point and, and, and to talk about that. Um, and, and that's kind of these points of intervention that I like to, um, to, to use. And I would not do that on a daily basis, okay? I really don't believe that a manager, at least in the VP level or chief revenue officer, needs to micromanage salespeople. Yeah. I think it's counterproductive. Uh, people, we need to hire people that can do this on a daily basis. We need to do this in certain points in time when they are, they are critical or when we identify that there's a challenge. Taking all of what you've learned there and fast forward into Shield, I would like to go back to day one at Shield. What did the sales team look like and what was your job when you, uh, when you arrived? So entering into Shield was like a time machine 15 years back. Yeah. Okay. So I, I joined the company in its very, very early days. I was the first go-to-market person in the company. Okay, so I kind of it took myself back to my um, individual contributor days, mm-hmm. uh, 15 or 16 years ago, and I was the salesperson. So, so I was entering a company that was in a process of developing a product and very wisely already starting to think how they sell it. Okay, and that was a very clever idea from 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 our founders to bring somebody like me very early into the process because they could have brought a junior sales person to join the company at that stage. But, you know, we did this in parallel. I was selling, but I was already thinking and putting all the foundations of how to build a sales organization and how to put everything in place to enable growth. Okay. So this is super interesting. And I have a hundred questions around this as to why I think it is absolutely the right thing to do. But firstly, if every tech founder could have an errand to come in and do that, that would be brilliant. However, we don't need to go into the details, but you probably took a huge hit on what you've earned before to go in and and do that. Because effectively, the whole skill set that you've had, that you've learned over your 20-year career, probably didn't, Shield didn't need probably till now when they looked to bring that, that person in. However, somebody who's created the sales process from day one and who has sold it puts in a very strong position. What made you, because you could have picked up at that time a Series A startup as a VP leader uh, of people, what made you make the decision to do Shield and to go back to, I've got, I've got to literally go out and sell? Great question. And I asked myself that every day in the probably last in the first year of, of, yeah. of my, why, why am I doing did I yeah. do this? Okay. But, you know, looking backwards and also the, 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 the factors that made me uh, decide to do this is because I believe that a sales leader 
has so much impact on the creation of a company in its early stages. Yeah. And if it's trying to do reverse engineering later on, you're losing so much time. Yes. So when it goes hand to hand, while you build a company, you build a product and you build your sales narrative, sales processes, marketing, everything together, it works perfectly. And I, 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 I knew that I will have a lot of impact in how this company will be looking. Yeah. I, I didn't want to come into an organization that everything is ready. No, I could, as you said, I could go to a round A, you know, company that already has everything. They need a leader to take this to the next step. But probably 80% of the stuff was there already. And I would just need to make it bigger, quicker. I wanted to build this. I wanted to bring my experience to build this from scratch. And the people that will join us at this stage will enjoy this as well. Because we are still at that stage where people build stuff. Yeah. They make decisions. They influence how this company is going to look now and, you know, in a couple of years from now. And that was really, really appealing to me. Yeah, in a company like Nice or even smaller ones, it's much harder to have that influence. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So speaking to VCs, they'll, they'll say that the companies in their portfolio that succeed, that have success the quickest are those that arrive at Series A funding with not founder-led sales because they've got a scalable process where somebody else has been doing it. And they said, look, the best salesperson in the world in an organization will be the founder because it's their baby. They don't necessarily do the best deals, so i.e. they give it away, but they're the best person at selling. But where the businesses that have really scaled off, when you take out the anomalies around um, certain businesses within fintech, uh, where you've got unicorns, but they've never even turned a profit. It's about that sales process in place. How long did it take you to work out the sales process in those early days that was going to be something that could be scalable? So just to, to add to, to, to your question, one of the reasons why in companies like Shield, uh, which we sell a complex platform to, to financial institutes, it's, it's, it's a complex sales process, why is it so important to have this early uh, in the company life cycle versus, you know, maybe companies that sell an application or a B2C uh, solution that is more viral and can sell itself. In this case, there are no shortcuts in the business yeah. industry that we work in. You know, there's no shortcuts. We use, you need to sell through a process. Yeah. Hence the importance of having that early in, in the state. How quick it took me. I knew how to do this. I've done this before. Um, I was selling complex technologies. I understand enterprise sales. So for me, it was known, okay? I now needed to gear up the company, uh, make sure that we sell, uh, build the right product to fit into, into the process. It didn't took me a long time. It took me a long time to achieve my goals because that's the dynamics of selling to, an, to, to, cut to these type of customers. Yeah. Um, but, but that was where, where we are today. If we would now start looking for the Iran guy, we will probably need another two more years of go-to-market to reach yeah. where we are today. Because I, I didn't tell a lot yet about the Shield story, um, but you know we have been completely bootstrapped until yeah. now. You know We were a team of 40 people without investment. 
that tells you a little bit about what we were able to achieve from a revenue perspective. So, you know, we kind of a little bit reversed the way most startups form up today. Yeah. But I think it's a much healthier way to do that, especially in the markets we operate in. 100%. I just want to pick on something key that you said there, that you made sure that they were building a product that the clients wanted. Now, how influential were you from going to market, talking to people and formulating? Because this is one of the key things that particularly second time founders said that they spent more time creating a product that people wanted to buy rather than creating the product that they thought people would want. So did you have a big influence in that? And, and is that a key reason? Because to be bootstrapped at 40, you've got some good clients and you're generating some, some, some good revenue because 40 people is not cheap. And that, that's really, really good platform. So how much did they allow you to have a say in what they needed to be doing for the product? So first of all, um, when the company was founded, the reasons that the company was founded, because we identified a gap in the market. Yeah. So, so we knew that what we are looking to build is something that the market needs and they currently don't have from mm. existing companies, from legacy vendors, from the matureness of the technology. So we, we, our starting point was very good from that perspective. And then we were very fortunate because we started early our sales efforts to start having more customers and clients using and adopting our technology. So we were able to validate very quickly the product market fit just with one uh, customer, with a couple of customers. And, and we suddenly saw that this is repetitive. We, we yeah. saw that the feedback, the, 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 the adoption of the platform is repetitive. So we, we understood what, that we are in the right path. And then, you know, we were the eyes, we is the sales team, the, the small sales team yeah. that was back then, were the eyes and the ears from the market. So even from the sales processes that we started so early in the company, we gained so much market insights and so much feedback about what we were we are developing. How does the product look? How is it compared to the competition? Uh, we were gaining a lot of market insight and it helps us infiltrate our product, product roadmap. And the benefit of being a small company, we could do it quickly. Yeah. But that was a huge competitive advantage. You know, we heard the feedback. Our legacy large competitors, they move like a big ship very, yeah. very slowly. And we were moving quickly. So customers were telling us, this is what we need. A couple of months after, we could already come back to them with a product yeah. or the, the, the additions to the product that they were looking for. So it worked very well together, the sales efforts on the one hand, the quick feedback into the product team and the quick turnaround time of, of the development. All of that worked very well together and puts us in, in, in put Shield in a very good competitive situation um, in the market. Interesting. When did you realize it was the right time to bring in the next salesperson? What were you looking at in the business to know that you're ready to hire someone else? The minute I felt that I and the people that we had at that stage couldn't absorb the opportunities, we felt we are missing opportunities because we could not be everywhere. Mm -hmm. We could not deal with all of these processes in parallel. We had more that we could observe from a sales process um, and sales capacity perspective. Um, and I can tell you one of the things our customers told us post-mortem after choosing us, we loved 
the sales process with you guys. You were responsive. You were quick. You were listening. So I said, the minute I felt that we could not deliver that level of service in the sales process, Maybe. coupled with, with my burning feeling that we are missing so many opportunities, I said, this is the time we need to scale. And I was very reluctant to do that before because I didn't want us to bring more that we can eat mm-hmm. as a company from delivery, from product. I want to make sure that we had everything properly ready. Yeah. I, I got these two indicators about missing opportunities and customers keeping you know, this good level of service in the sales process. This is the time to scale. And how easy was it to, to hire? And how did you attract and identify the people that you wanted? Because that's clear to me from what you mentioned there is you definitely need the consultative salesperson who, who can match the way that you were doing it. So how did you go about and how did you, in the interview process, make sure that you got enough information out to make sure they were the right people? Hiring is never easy. No. Especially salespeople, um, yeah. it's not easy. Um, you know, some people make a living out of, of yeah. helping us to do that. Um, but, you know, seriously, um, we, we, we do a couple of things to, to ensure that. One, um, we're trying to uh, look for, first of all, we're trying to articulate very clearly the job description. Yeah. What are we selling? To who are we selling? What background is needed in order to, to be successful in that? Um, secondly, we're trying to, to identify companies that have a similar product, but not, not necessarily a competitor, mm-hmm. but similar uh, characteristics, okay? Um, complex, uh, um, um, multi-stakeholder, um, uh, fit for enterprise, you know, all of these elements, that always helps us. And the last, one, last point is around the personality of a person, okay? Um, when, when we understand how our buyers are buying, what would the sales process take? This is kind of the, 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 the personal elements that we're looking to break down in order to make that fit. So it's experience in similar products. Um, it's the right attitude and personality to address complex value-based selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one, which I think is extremely important, is the ability to work in a startup environment. Yeah. And, and that's something that usually could be a deal breaker from my perspective, because, you know, the two first parameters are outbound related. Yeah. And the third one is an inbound related uh, as, as, as a company. And how do you test for that? How do you, do you work out? Because there's a lot of people that, that we talk to and they're looking to hire for a startup and they'll say, I don't want to see anybody from a, a, a Bloomberg or a big business because... And the reason behind that is that everything's given to those people. Most organizations will talk to you because they know who Bloomberg is. If you're working for a shield, no one knows who you are. You probably got to go and find a lot of your leads. They're not like a well-oiled SDR, BDR team in place. But yet there are some people that come from large organizations that actually do really, really well. So how do you identify if somebody is a good fit for a startup? And in particular, it's not just a startup, it's your startup and how your startup is. So how- the easy, the easy answer is first to see people that have done that before. So yeah. joint startup, grow, grown up in the business from, from that. That's the easy one. Okay. If we find these, that's always a great yeah. indicator. Somebody has done that before. That's the easy option. The harder option is people that when you speak with them, you see the entrepreneurial spark in their yeah. 
minds. They are not afraid of uncertainty. They are not afraid of being first in doing something, or they're very open about the fact that they did this for many years in a place that it was easy for them. And now they are really looking for a challenge. Yeah. And I like in my interview process or in the whole hiring process to put all the challenges on the table, to, yeah. to, to make it hard. So to not to, to paint a, a, a pink and pretty picture of what these guys are, are going to see the day after joining our startup. Yeah. Not because it's necessarily to be, it's going to be that hard, it's to see how they respond to that. How yeah. do they address that challenge? And that gives you a great indication about their suitability for, for a startup environment. And how, once somebody arrives into, uh, into Shield, what's the process is to get them up to speed to make sure they do it the Shield way and have that process, particularly which has probably been ingrained with your mindset from your days at, at NICE. There's a way of, of, um, of doing it. And I always take it back to, I started my life in, um, in car sales and I, was, I sold BMW and they gave you a sales process and they were like, once you'd sold X amount of numbers, you could use what any process you wanted. But up until then, you used this process. And of course, those of us that sold the most cars stuck to the process because somebody at BMW had worked out over 50 years the buying process and how. So why me as a, uh, as a young 20-year-old think I can reinvent the process? I'm just going to stick to it. How do you bring that person? Because even if they've been a great salesperson elsewhere, it's not the process. So how do you make sure that you get this right because a lot of salespeople don't work out and there's kind of about a 25% churn rate of salespeople within tech companies globally. And it's not necessarily because we get hiring wrong so often. It's often we get the onboarding and the first year wrong and the candidates work out. So is there anything in particular that you, you do to prove the success that you've had to make sure that these guys ramp up quickly? Yeah, so that, that's a great question, and, and I, I totally agree that, that the onboarding is a critical uh, element of, of a successful salesperson. First parameter, in my view, is to very, very clearly determine the boundaries of that person's responsibility. Who is he selling to? Who or she, by the way? I'm just, who are they selling to? Which geographies? Which target markets? Which target accounts? Which company sizes? Which part of the product? very, very clear rules of engagement, okay? Yeah. What, first of all, they need to be very clear what, where and what are they selling. The second thing, because we were successful until now, what we have done, we have reversed this success examples into a process. We are taking the, 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 the different successes that we had and we broke them into processes. Yeah. How did that happen? Because, you know, if you did well, why not replicate success? I always say that. Why Don't try to invent more. You yeah. did something well, this is the time to replicate it. So we have broken our successes into processes, into onboarding materials, into documents, into best practices. We kind of took all of the elements of these successes and made them the handbook, onboarding process for these people. Uh, and that together with generic marketing materials is yeah. the perfect onboarding process and we see how it works nicely because what these people need to do they need to take their designated res new responsibility learn how it worked elsewhere and copy that's it yeah and if we can bring it to them 
cooked as much as possible, yeah. we get them onboarded much quicker. So this is my philosophy. This is how we're doing it here. It's very hands-on. It's very uh, one-on-one mentored. You know, that's the beauty of being a small company. You don't do this on with online courses. You know, we, we give this, you know, hand-to-hand uh, mentoring. And this is how we're doing it today. Uh, and it's working great. Interesting. It's been great talking to you, um, Aaron, before we go. What does your team size look like right now? And what does the, uh, the next, because you're in that critical phase now, what does tomorrow look like and your, and your growth plans? So, so we are, as a company, focused until now, decided uh, to focus mainly on Europe. And this is where we have put most of our efforts and most of our people are there. We have a, a, a nicely sized sales organization in Europe that is being now uh, increased mm-hmm. because we are in the stage we cannot absorb uh, anymore and we need more um, capacity from that perspective. But the main uh, uh, trajectory for us uh, in terms of the growth is the U.S. market now. Um, for us, this is a market that is ready for us to, uh, to come into. One thing that I didn't want to do, and many people say that about uh, going into the U.S. market, don't go to the U.S. market before you're ready to go to the U.S. market. And, and we are now feeling very ready from a product perspective, from, a, uh, uh, from the matureness of our uh, company to enter into the U.S. market. And we are going to do that in a very, very high scale and quick pace. So I'm looking to build out our U.S. operations from all of its aspects, sales, pre-sales, customer success. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one hand of, of our growth strategy, uh, building further the EMEA uh, um, organization and starting to put initial seeds of our um, Asia-Pacific operations. So, you know, in the next uh, couple of months, you know, we're looking at, you know, a, a, a big amount of additional uh, sales, pre-sales and go-to-market teams all across the globe. And how's your role changing then from uh, each day? From are you still selling yourself, or are you uh, have you stepped away from that now? Oh, uh, it's hard for me. After I went back into it, it's hard for me it. to get away from it. I still like touching it, but at some stage, I just don't want to have a capa- have capacity to do that. So my my main focus is to create a very strong middle management layer, yeah. uh, so I know that I have. Uh, um, mid-level management or sales directors or RVPs, uh, depends on the regions, uh, um, to take the next layer of growth on top of them. And I will now need to be focusing on the more strategic initiatives, the strategic partnerships, the strategic sales, and to make sure that this machine that we are building um, continues to operate in the small size that it operates today very efficiently. Exciting times. So, Taking on America is a, is, a, is a massive challenge and it's a great marketplace. It would be great to revisit the podcast next year to see, uh, to see how you're getting on with that and your, uh, your key learns along the way. Um, but Aaron, look, I really appreciate you taking time out to, uh, to talk to us today, share with us your journey and your leadership skills. I think the audience will learn an awful lot from it and um, we'll have this out in a couple of weeks to the viewers to have a look and a listen. Appreciate you having me today. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks a lot. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review and subscribe. We want you to get involved with Tech Sales Craft and become part of our growing community. Thanks for joining us.